0: the chorus one more time. Sing, oh, sing. and be seated. So have you ever started telling a story and then thankfully you have somebody with you who was there and they go, that's not actually how it happened at all. Usually you're the hero of the story and then a loved one that was there is like, whether they say it in front of everybody else or they say it just kind of with a little bit of a nudge, um, they remind you that's actually, that wasn't what you said. That's not how it happened. Your memory has gotten fuzzy. That's happened to me many times. I forget a detail or I seem to remember like how great my, my part in the story was. And uh, But we need people around us to be like, that was 20 years ago or that was 15 years ago or that was however long ago, but like that actually wasn't the whole detail. It could be something like a family story that, uh, that you like, start telling the story and then maybe a parent or a loved one is like, oh, you actually didn't know how that turned out. I had that conversation with my uncle recently where I had asked a question and he goes, you didn't really understand what was going on. You were a kid. And let me fill you in on what was actually happening in that moment. Today, we're looking at a passage that's kind of like that. We've been slowly walking through Psalm 18 together and, uh, you know, 10 or so verses at a time. And Psalm 18 is that kind of a uh, a story in the Bible for us, or it's that kind of a song for us because David is looking back on his life and correcting his memory and reminding himself this is what was actually going on. But he's also giving this to Israel because Israel needs to be reminded many, many times this is what was actually happening in your life. You're going to forget, you're going to mess up up some details, you're going to start thinking something was going on, but God gives us Psalm 18 to say, this is the actual story of your life. This is actually what was happening. And so come back here and remind yourself in the ups and downs of life, when you get swamped by another medical diagnosis, another bill that comes through, you know, uh, something going, a problem that you have with your boss, you... Like you're going to forget some of the, what's going on, and God uses Psalm 18, really He uses the whole Bible, to say, this is what I'm up to when you get swamped by the little details. So go ahead and turn with me to Psalm chapter 18. Today we're going to be looking at verses 20 to 29. Psalm chapter 18, starting in verse 20. David says, the Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He has rewarded me for I have kept the ways of the Lord. I am not guilty of turning from my God. All his laws are before me. I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him and have kept myself from sin. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the devious, you show yourself shrewd. You save the humble, but bring low those whose eyes are haughty. You, Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. Let's pray. God, as we open your word, help us clarify our memories. Help us be rooted in the ups and downs of life to the fact that you are constant. In Jesus' name, amen. So Psalm is reaches is at this point when David finally gets peace. This, we see it in the introduction, this is when David has been delivered from the hand of his enemy who happens to be his father-in-law, and he's also been delivered from the enemies outside of uh, him and the kingdom, and he becomes the king, and so he writes this psalm that makes everything sound rosy. This makes everything sound like this has been smooth sailing, ignoring the fact that there were about 30 years between the time that he was anointed, soon after that killed Goliath, and this point. He's been spending 30 years more or less on the run dealing with problems, dealing with attacks from his enemies. But David takes this moment to remind himself that God has been constant even though life has been up and down. That's what David is using this moment to remind himself that even when my life has been up and down, God himself has been a constant presence and he has been constantly good and his purposes in my life have not changed. Even though from maybe moment to moment, David has written songs and prayers that feel like he's overwhelmed and God, you've forgotten me and God, what are you doing? He's reminding himself and he's ultimately doing this because Israel is going to need to know that. This is a song that's meant for Israel to sing and to pray in their own worship. This is supposed to be the dominant story of their life. And so what I want to show you is that this part of Psalm 18 is an invitation. It's a call. It's a command to you and I to count on God's consistency in the ups and downs of life. Count on God being constant when the world is not. I want to show you in these verses three actions for us to count on God's consistency. The fact that God is reliable in these times. First, we see it in verses 20 to 24, is it's a call to you and I to believe that righteousness is rewarded. Verses 20 to 24 call us to believe that righteousness is rewarded. This is where David, David says, starting in verse 20, the Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I am not guilty of turning from my God. All his laws are before me. I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him and have kept myself from sin. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. So if you're like me, on first first look, you go, David is here. Sounds like he's saying something incredibly audacious. I have been perfect and God has rewarded me. If if we forget the fact that David has spent 30 years on the run, we see in many other places in Scripture where David repents, we end up realizing, oh, David doesn't mean there has never been a moment in my life where I have sinned. But the law still allows somebody to pursue the Lord and to love the Lord and to repent of sin. And so David's, David's like, what he's saying is that God responds to righteousness and he doesn't ignore those who seek him. We'll see elsewhere that David is not saying, I have never sinned, but in my life, even when I've sinned, I've repented and turned to the Lord. I have been walking in his way. He says there, I have not wickedly departed from the Lord. And so David is, I'm not guilty of turning from my God. And so David's confidence is not in his perfection. David's confidence is that God rewards those who earnestly seek him and pursue him and who repent when they need to repent. David's confidence is not, I've done everything right, and so God has to repay me. His confidence is the fact that God doesn't ignore those who seek him. Even when his circumstances scream, God has forgotten you, David is reminding himself that God responds to righteousness and he rewards righteousness there because there is a temptation when David has been on the run to think that God doesn't care and doesn't reward him. There has been this temptation in Israel's life because ultimately this is being written for Israel and for you and I to walk through life and look at somebody and say like, look, look at what they have. They have what I don't. And yet God must have forgotten me. Like, why would God reward them and not me? And so David is using this moment to stop himself from this temptation to think that God doesn't reward. He's trying to stop Israel and say, no, God, your confidence should be the fact that God does reward righteousness. That he does love that. Even David in his timeline may not have seen that from moment to moment. There's a long season where his enemy, who has rebelled against God, who's who's attacked him needlessly, is still sitting on the throne. And so David says, don't put David's incense calling to himself and saying, just because they were sitting on the throne does not mean that the Lord was not going to reward my following him. He's telling to Israel, Israel, there's going to come a moment when godless nations and godless kings sit on the throne and they throw their parties and they persecute God's people. And you're going to be tempted to think that God doesn't care. But instead, it is this call to Israel to believe that God will reward righteousness, even if right now it looks like wickedness is being what's rewarded. Because they're the ones that have the home and the cars and the job and the money and the carefree existence. They're the ones who don't have the medical diagnosis, who are walking through moment by moment, walking through in pain. There will be a temptation to, to, to Israel, but ultimately to God's people, to walk through life and look at somebody else and say, they're wicked, and yet they have what we wanted. And, and so David says, no, no. The Christian life is this call to count on the fact that God rewards righteousness. Do not forget this, even if your immediate circumstances don't scream this to you. It reminds me of actually Hebrews, because in Hebrews, there's the great hall of faith that talks about those who believed God and God did amazing things in their life. You know, God rescues Noah and his family through the flood, and God Delivers Daniel and God delivers Moses and God delivers Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and God does all of these people's things in people's lives because of their faith. But Hebrews like speaks to this specific point because it finishes and says, But not everybody who lived a life of faith was rewarded right there. Not everybody who who lived the life of faith ended up seeing the lion's mouths closed because some of them got pulled in two, and some of them got burned to death, and some of them died. Not receiving the promise because it was still going to come. Hebrews is a reminder that righteousness will be rewarded. Sometimes it's in this life, but it's always rewarded even in the next. And so this, this psalm starts with this, this call to you and I to believe that God will reward righteousness. Specifically, God does reward those who earnestly seek him and those who follow after him and those who love him and those who basically stumble forward. Their confidence is in what God does, not in their own righteousness. So it's a call to you and I when we are tempted to believe that God does not reward is to speak to ourselves and say, no, God Loves those who seek Him. My circumstances might not scream it, so I'm going to scream this to myself. That somebody else might have the home and the job and the kids or the grandkids. Or they might have everything that I wanted to have. They have life easy. They don't have it the way that I do. But God is inclined and rewards righteousness and those who seek Him. And so I'm going to remind myself of that truth. That God does this. Second, what, second action to count on God's consistency from this passage. Verses 25 and 26. Then tell, call us to look for God's consistency in the world. Look, look out there and see the fact that God is consistent. Verses 25 and 26. Takes this that we've seen in 20 to 24. And Luke says, look at the world. To the faithful, God, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the devious, you show yourself shrewd. The, the first three lines of these verses like, lay out, here's the principle. And the words match, regard, almost regardless of what your translation is, the, word, the two words that are going to be used there match each other. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But the switch is in the fourth line. Where it doesn't use the same exact word. But to the devious, you show yourself shrewd. To the twisted, you show yourself shrewd. To those that cause trouble, God... It it uses a different word. Showing that God returns on those that are twisted and they're devious, that are perverted, that turn away from him, that turn towards sin, that God actually shows himself like that in the world. This week, I learned a new word because I, I know several of you use King James, and I try to always read that to kind of see, hey, what is it saying? King James says, to the froward, you show yourself froward. I have never in my life heard the word froward before. But the idea is this twisted. I imagine there's a a part of my garden where I needed to leave it alone because the beans needed to grow. And this weed has grown up and twisted itself around the beans. And it's like, well, if I'm going to try and... Get the weed out of those beans, then I'm going to end up pulling up the beans in the process, and so I have to leave that twisted vine wrapping itself around the beans, or, um, or else I have to pull the whole thing up. That's I think that's that idea here: froward or devious, or like the, the, those that God that are faithful in the world, God is faithful to them. Those that are blameless, God is blameless. To the pure, God shows Himself pure, but to those that turn away from Him. God returns onto their head, their, their actions, and their hearts, and their loves. God, in, we, and so, the, so uh, David, I'm sorry, invites Israel, and he de- invites us to look at the world and see this is how God acts in the world. Now remember, David is like looking back on his life. He's not looking in the moment and going, here I am living in a cave. My father-in-law is out to kill me. My wives are living somewhere else. My kids are off somewhere else. It's kind of weird to say little wives. That's a really strange saying to, to say, but that's the reality of David's life. His family is somewhere else and he's on the run. But at this moment, as he looks back, he's like, God has always been faithful to themselves pure. But those that are twisted, God brings that back onto their own head. That's the focus, David's focus is that this is what we see in the world. There's not always a direct line in between our sin and God's judgment, but David says it's going to come. There's not always like a direct link. Oh, you sin, boom, you're dead and it's gone. You have no more chances. Like there's not always a direct line between somebody being corrupted and them like reaping reaping what they've sown in their lives. But David says, Israel, believe that it's going to come. As you live in a foreign land, like singing and praying in Babylon, Daniel, believe that one day... That God's judgment is going to come on those that have hurt and persecuted His people. David is inviting the, the the believers who who live in Turkey in the New Testament that right now you are undergoing persecution and suffering, and those that worship other gods they they get everything that they wanted in life. They've got a, their wife and their kids are healthy, and they've got enough food to eat, and their business is going well, and their life is at peace. But they. David says, sing this song and remind yourself that God's judgment will come on those who persecute and ruin you. Those who have treated you so badly, those who have killed your family members in persecution will one day, one will one day feel God's judgment on them. And so he says, so David invites us to like look out at the world and say, not who's being judged today, but that God's work in the world is that those who are twisted end up, their lives fall apart. I, uh, years ago, I would never have been a cycling fan. But when I was a kid, many of you get, remember when Lance Armstrong dominated the, the, the cycling world. The only race I know is the Tour de France. But, so there's like one cyclist that I know, and it's Lance Armstrong, and he's dominating the cycling world. And I just remember, like I think he won like seven times. And I just remember going, there are people that are banned for drugs all the time in that sport. And this guy is far better than they are. That doesn't sound right. Like if these guys are banned for doing steroids and they can do what nobody else has ever done before, and then he's even better than they are. I know he says that he's innocent, but it sure doesn't look right. And it took at least 10 years before it finally came out that, yeah, you can't dominate a world of cheating without cheating yourself. It's the same thing that we saw in baseball years ago. I remember Barry Bonds was far better as an old man than he was when he was young. And he was good when he was young. And it just kind of was like, I mean, it's a sport with lots of steroids, And he's far better than anybody else at a far older age than anybody else has ever seen before. And so surely he's doing drugs just like everybody else. And it took some time. It took years. But eventually we found out, yeah, it ends up being true. That they might skirt the rules for a while. They might be able to hide what they're doing for a season. But eventually it comes out that this is what they're doing. And they end up reaping what they've sown. Their reputations are ruined. But it's not just sports, which ultimately sports isn't even as important as what we see in real life. You can think about in your own life, people that you know, whether it's at work, in your relationships, in your family or somewhere. Somebody that was cheating, that was was hurting, somebody that was rebelling against God and turning against their family, they can keep it a secret for a time. But one day, the secret comes out. One day, all of the hurt that they have been unloading on others comes onto their own head. It's what we see in the world. And David says, that is what the Lord is doing in the world. And so David is calling to himself is to say, right now, somebody else might have everything I ever wanted. Right now, somebody else might be living at peace and everything seems to be okay even while they're the ones that are sinning against God, that are sinning against people, that are hurting us, and they seem to be getting away with it. But David says, no, look and see that God God is faithful to those who show themselves faithful. That God is blameless to those who show themselves blameless. David is inviting us to become students of history, not just people who read newspapers. He's inviting us to say, you know what? Like right now, the the newspaper headline or the, the website headline might say that this is what's going on. But if we look back at the 1990s or the 1980s or the 1970s or the 1960s, some of you the 1950s and even the 1940s, we look back and we say, you know what? The Lord has never abandoned the faithful. Like in the moment, the headlines sure might look awful. But if I look back 30 years or 40 years or 50 years, I can actually see that the Lord has been consistently faithful. It's one of my favorite things as I sit with so many of you and hear stories from your history, stories from the history of this church, of the community, of your family. Is I don't just get to hear some interesting stories, but I also get to hear the stories of the Lord's faithfulness in season after season. Because in one day, from one day to the next, from one week to the next can be overwhelming. But when we make ourselves students of history, and a history, of God's history in the world, then we end up seeing the Lord has been faithful moment by moment, day by day. And we're not directed by the, the heat of the moment. And so David is calling God's people to look at the world and see where God has been consistently faithful. And the third action this passage calls to us, this third action for us to count on God's consistency is to look for God's consistency in our own stories. Look for God's consistency in our own stories. Look at verses 27 to 29. You save the humble, but bring low those whose eyes are haughty. You, Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. Notice, notice several things in these verses. David is now putting together, God, this is what you do. And God, this is my story. You, Lord, my God, your help, my God. And he says, my lamp, my darkness. I can advance. I can scale. David is at this point saying, okay, yes, God has been consistently faithful in the world. If we look at God in the world, that, that, that sinners do not prosper, that their ways are one day judged, but now David turns it to himself and says, let me look at my story and see that those... That The Lord has been faithful in my life. God has been consistent in my life. David is inviting Israel to begin to look at its own story and say, we're still here. And that is the Lord being faithful to us. This is a psalm that's meant for Daniel who's going to be living in exile, serving a foreign king with uh, the the king's advisors, hating him and wanting to take him down. Daniel's going to read this and be reminded that my lamp is still burning even here. The Lord has turned the darkness that I could have been swallowed by into light. And I'm still here. Daniel gets to pray and say, God, with your help, I can go to battle. God, with your help, I can go to war. This is a psalm for the, not even just the famous people like Daniel, but just the common man or woman. I mean, we'll say Daniel's parents who were left behind maybe move to a different part of the kingdom. This is a psalm for them to sing in exile when they're uh, when they're like, "God, God, we're still here. You're you're still being faithful in our lives. You're still being faithful in our story." This is a call for us to connect God's consistency with our own experience. Because Satan that wants to try and separate those two things in our hearts and in our minds. Satan wants to come along and say, and say, God is not at work in this. He's either forgotten you, he doesn't care about you, or you can handle this on your own. Satan wants to get us, whether we are actually atheists or just practically atheists, to start living as if God does not exist and does not care. And David is calling God's people to look for God's consistency in our own story. And, see, and get to this point where we begin to go, you, Lord, are my God. With your help, I have done this. With your help, I have been able to get through in this. David is here calling to us to speak to ourselves and retell our stories. That's ultimately been the theme of Psalm 18, where David is like looking back over the sweep of his life and retelling his story in a new way. Martin Lloyd-Jones comments that often one of the problems we have in the Christian life is that we listen too much and don't speak enough which is kind of completely opposite, because if you're like me, you were raised to think that children should be seen and not heard. You know, you were being told, hey, it's better and wiser to listen than to speak. But what Martin Lloyd-Jones means is that, that in the Christian life, instead of listening to ourselves, we should instead be speaking to ourselves. Instead of just listening to ourselves and saying, this is what I feel like is true and this is how I feel today and this is what I'm worried about and what I'm anxious about and what I'm scared about and this is what I wonder about. Instead, the Christian life is a call to speak to ourselves and say, this is what God is doing today. This is what God has done this last year. This is what God has done over the last 50 years, over the last 70 years, over the last 95 years. I am going to tell the story of God applied in my life I'm going to tell the story of God in our church, not just listen to the stories that my heart wants to tell me. This is a call to you and I to speak to ourselves. This is why speaking the gospel is so important in the Christian life, is that we don't just fall into remembering the Lord's work. But every time, whether it's in a sermon on a Sunday, whether it's in Sunday school, or whether it's in your own private devotions, speaking the gospel, which is the story that I once was far from God, I once hated God and I wanted to live in my own way. I would not worship him as he deserved. I would not love him with all my heart, as he said, as he deserved. This becomes, it's not just, oh, here's the gospel that other people need to hear. It's the gospel that I need to hear, that God Rightfully judges my sin, not just everybody else's sin, but the sin of my heart, whether I was four years old or whether I was 55 years old or 59 years old. Our story is that we made ourselves God's enemy and subject to his judgment. But God was constantly faithful to us in that while we were still sinners, Jesus came and lived the life that we should live and died the death that we should die and was raised to life so that everybody who repents of their sin and trusts in Jesus only to save them can be taken from God's enemies trying to either live on their own or trying to please Him on their own. And instead brought into His family with all of the record and identity and inheritance of His Son. That is our story. That is the constant story of God in our life. And as we begin to speak that to ourselves, then in the ups and downs of life, we can begin to go, Lord, you're going to be as faithful in this down as you were in all of those ups. God, you're going to be as faithful in the 2020s as you were in the 1990s or in the 1970s or in the 1960s. You were faithful then and you're going to be faithful now. You were faithful when you drew me to your son and so now you're still continually drawing me to your son. This is the call for us to look for God's consistency in our story. And begin to say, You, Lord, have kept my lamp burning. I could not have done it. You're the one that turned the darkness of despair and depression that I live with into light. You're the one that turns the darkness of my anxiety into light. You're the one that has enabled me to come this far. And so you're going to see me faithfully home. This Psalm 18 is a call to you and I to count on God's consistency. God being reliable in the ups and downs of our lives. But ultimately, doesn't this expose us? Ultimately, doesn't this expose it? God's consistency to reward blamelessness and to punish sin actually just exposes us. If God is consistent to reward faithfulness, then what hope is there for you and I who look at our days and realize, I have not been faithful to the Lord as I ought. Our best efforts this week are going to expose our need just as they exposed David and Israel. God deserves our faithfulness and we must not lower our goals to just being better than our neighbors. We have to raise them. What confidence can we have when we confess this week that we cannot pray Psalm uh, Psalm 18.23 that says, I have been blameless before him and have kept myself from sin. Where is the good news for us in this passage? When this verse exposes us, it also leads us to Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one who could say, I have been blameless and mean it. And yet he was cursed. So that the reward for his righteousness could be given to all who trade with him. So if you're in Christ today and have made that trade with Jesus, he was crushed for your sin and so you will be rewarded for his righteousness, not your own. That is your story. And there is nothing that stands in the way of God consistently doing good to you in the ups and downs of life. Then we can pray this this way. The Lord has dealt with me according to Jesus' righteousness. According to the cleanness of His hands, He has rewarded me. For Jesus has kept the ways of the Lord. I am not guilty of turning from my God. So the Lord will be constant in your life. But maybe you're here, and you feel the weight of your sin against God, and you know that you're not blameless, and you want to know how can Jesus take away your record and give you His. I mentioned this story in just just a minute, briefly, uh, just a moment ago, briefly. But we tell the story here in four parts. In part one, all of us have sinned against God because God created the world and He made it good, and we said, "We will not live Your way. We will not follow Your kingdom. We do not want You as the leader over us." The Bible calls that sin and says that the wages of sin is death. That's part two. The wages of sin is death, physical death in this life and spiritual death in hell forever in the life to come. Part three is that instead of leaving us as God's enemies, Jesus came and lived the life that we should live, able to say, I have been blameless and yet died the death that you and I should die so that Part four, so that all who, tr- who trust in Jesus alone to save them, repenting of their sin and giving up their own sin and their righteousness and their, and their own leadership in their own life and follow Jesus, they trade with Jesus and, are, and pass from death and judgment to life and welcome with Jesus. If you have questions about that, come and grab me at the end of the service. Grab me while we sing. Grab me in the hallway. Let today be the day that you trade with Jesus so that you can know the Lord will consistently do good to me. No matter what, ha- what they say at the hospital or at the doctor's office. No matter what happens in the ups and downs of life and in my relationships. I have, been, I have trusted in Jesus and so I can know for sure that God is going to always do good to me. He will be consistently faithful in my life. I want you to imagine what kind of confidence comes when this becomes the reality in your own heart. Imagine what changes in your own own day-to-day. Maybe it's the day that's hard to get out of bed again. The depression or the despair is so crippling and you don't know what to do. Imagine what changes in that moment when you still know in your heart of hearts the Lord is going to be faithful to me today. Imagine what happens in a home when the, the, when the blessing in your home is not because mom and dad are righteous, not because the kids are righteous enough, but because Jesus is righteous enough and God will be consistently good in a home. Imagine the kind of, the kind of settled peace that can come in a home when that is the reality. Imagine what can change in our church when we know in the ups and downs of daily life together in our church. And in our community, we know that God is going to always be faithful to us and we can trust in it no matter what the days hold. And then imagine what kind of good news that becomes for Scott County and Morgan County and Greene County. As people, get get the chance to hear that in the ups and downs of life, there is a faithful God who gave his son for us and we can count on him to be consistently faithful. Let's pray. God as we uh, as we hear from your word, that you do not change, that you are reliable, that you are consistent. I pray I pray today that we would have that rock solid confidence because we have traded with Jesus. I pray that it wouldn't become because we've we've navigated our life right, because we've gotten all of the decisions right, because we've done enough, because we've served enough, because we've worked hard enough, I pray that in the ups and downs of life, we would look at Jesus and see that it's settled. You're going to do good to us today. In Jesus' name, amen.